Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with strength and conditioning coach and author, Brett Bartholomew. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I think this is the first part three with uh, with Brett Bartholomew. So firstly, thank you so much for giving up your uh, an hour of your time to speak to me, Brett. And uh, I know you've got so much going on, but welcome again to the podcast. No, thanks for having me. I always appreciate it. It's, uh, it's not giving it up whenever I get a chance to talk to you. I just kind of would rather interview you than hear me talk. Oh, that's nice of you to say. So obviously you've got plenty going on at the minute. Um, do you just want to give us a little bit for, for anyone that doesn't know who you are, just give us a little bit of a, a quick roundup of your, uh, your background so far. Yeah. I'd just say, simply put, I'm a strength and conditioning coach, uh, consultant, and I guess now author, even though I'm not really used to that term and I don't really consider myself a writer. Um, but my background's pretty simple. Um, did basically I, I went to undergrad, got my bachelor's in kinesiology, did my master's degree and, and was a graduate assistant at Southern Illinois University, where I was uh, uh, the head strength coach for eight different Olympic sports and then an assistant for football and basketball. And then since that time, I've been in the private sector, served both as a uh, director of pro sports, primarily NFL and UFC uh, for Exos, ran the baseball groups and worked with a lot of military and special forces out there as well. And then went to a company called Unbreakable as their performance director and co-owner. And my mission and goal there was basically to kind of uh, turn around uh, a, a unique place, but had a little bit of a culture issue. Uh, wasn't wasn't basically as organized as it could have been, and, and needed some coach development and pieces like that. So coached athletes out there and did that, and, and was more on the business side as well, which was interesting. Um, and then now have started doing basically my own thing. So have gotten to a point where my wife and I want a little bit more freedom in our life, um, trying to create a future where I can coach, speak, consult, and uh, not always kind of feel, I guess, under a corporate veil, so to speak, you know, so that you can put out things that you're passionate about and are authentic. And to be honest, I just wanted to be more of a part of the field because you do these things on the floor that, you know, many of us do every day. But uh, just because of some of the restrictions that you can have on the team side and even in the corporate private sector side, you're not always able to share. And I think that comes from my desire to do that comes from a place of not necessarily wanting to be known, but more so wanting to contribute just since I never really had a mentor in the field. So I felt like, you know, anything that I put out there now, whether it's the book, whether it's social media, whether it's interaction is just stuff that I wish I would have been told. That's always how it's always kind of uh, I've always kind of framed it in my mind is just tell people things that you wish you would have known and and uh, would have helped you maybe uh, have some perspective with things that, that you wouldn't have had otherwise or avoid some mistakes or at least look at a problem a different way. So I'm sure to many that don't know me, I can kind of seem like a bit of a mouthpiece, um, but I'm, I'm <laughs> and trust me, I don't, and Rob, you know me pretty well. I, I don't really like to be out there all that much, especially after this book promotion. I, I kind of want to hide under a rock. But what I have learned is in our industry, if if people that want to do good don't speak up, the jackasses certainly are going to do so in our place. 
And so I've always kind of found it a little bit paradoxical when people whine or complain about what's out there, but then they don't really put anything out there. So that's been something that I think has been awesome about, you know, what you've done, being able to get, you know, I listened to Ben Ashworth just recently and your talk with them, just being able to get people like that on and share what they do helps us combat people that have ulterior motives probably a little bit. And I think also helps young coaches that feel like they want to share and they, as they learn young and old coaches alike, because I'll get messages and emails from people in all different parts of the spectrum that say they want to, they want to share, but are scared of the criticism. And I think you just got to get to the point where you realize it doesn't, you know, as long as what you're sharing is helpful and authentic, it shouldn't really matter all that much. Why is that? Is that, is that, do you think it's an industry thing? Why are people um, scared to put things out for you know, criticism? Yeah, I mean, I can only speak from my standpoint. I know when I was in the collegiate system, that was very much something that was just beat into you. And this was, you know, nearly 10 years ago. So uh, it was just not that many people were sharing. And if anybody was on social media and anybody was doing anything, like you were kind of just viewed as a guru or a, talk, a mouthpiece and what have you. And I remember asking my boss at the time, and I was asking him authentically. I wasn't trying to be a smart ass. I just said, well, you know, you're really smart. I've learned a lot from you. Like, why don't you share? And there was never really an answer to that. It was just kind of like a gruff, like, you know, because I don't do that. And uh, I think a lot of people weren't. And then universities started realizing that from a recruiting standpoint, uh, they had to get whatever edge they could. So you started seeing colleges and and strength and conditioning staff, like putting out videos and sharing stuff a little bit more now. Cause I think it was a necessity. Everybody kind of had to get involved. So, cause it's that, it's that phrasing that sunlight's the best disinfectant. So then all of a sudden everybody wanted to show what they did. And I still was, but it was very ingrained in me from the collegiate standpoint that you don't put stuff out there. And transparently it wasn't until I went to the private side. Um, one of the places I was working kind of had a, a softer kind of reputation and my job in it was to obviously show the training or, I mean, uh, I guess build uh, the opposite of that, build its reputation as like, no, we, we, we actually do no nonsense strength and conditioning here. I just don't think that we had a marketing department at the time that really showcased the authentic moments. It, it wasn't somebody that was involved in SNC and, and I, like I was a peon, right? Like I was just a coach. So I didn't have any kind of saying that. So you'd see videos of people doing more probably therapeutic interventions than you would deadlifts and squats and, and what have you. So I just kind of took it upon myself to say, well, that's not what my athletes are doing. And that's not what a lot of our athletes are doing. So I'm going to start posting videos of, of our professional athletes that I'm working with or our youth that we're working with or whatever doing this kind of training. And I feel like that's kind of what took off on my end is at during a time where everybody was kind of pushing you know, nuances and, and really kind of highly specialized training or what they think is specialized training to see somebody actually just saying, Hey, here's Billy doing a deadlift or here's an NFL defensive end, you know, just doing, working on landing mechanics or, or 180 jumps and sticking the landing or good cutting technique or what have you. I think that kind of resonated with an underground majority that felt like, Oh, it's nice to see that somebody's not saying, here's my magic drill that will make you the fastest person in the world. Or here's, uh, my strength training method that has single-handedly decreased all of our injuries, just people taking credit for stuff that isn't real. Um, and it was actually one of my athletes, because I still felt really conflicted about anything that I shared, that just said, you know, why are you so weird about not wanting to be on social media? And I told him, and he said, well, why don't you just talk about the things that, you know, you tell your interns or your volunteers or you teach us as coaches? He's like, that's that's your voice. And so that's what I started doing. And um, 
yeah, it, I think just from there, it was a matter of kind of managing that content, not wanting to be an echo so much as just, you know, it, it doesn't really help if you just share what everybody else is sharing. You've got to kind of find something that you actually feel passionate about as an authentic to you. And, you know, then you'd still get backlash because you asked the question, why don't more people share? I think people are under the standpoint that if you share, you're not coaching. Um, but, but, you know, like from a technology standpoint, there's tons of scheduling apps that you use. So, you know, I'll use Hootsuite, all, you know, Facebook allows you to schedule stuff. So half the things I share are either teed up the night before, the night after. Um, this is a really good picture to kind of put in your mind's eye when I'm in the bathroom or just kind of like, you know, on the weekend. And so, you know, I, I just think people, we have a really insecure industry is probably the best answer. We have an insecure industry and, and people are, are nervous about what everybody's going to think or say. And that's just kind of the reality of life and they have to get past. I mean, put it this way, our athletes certainly aren't ever going to be able to shy away from criticism. Why are we any different? People are going to like you, hate you and, and feel any kind of way about you. They will just make sure it comes from an authentic place and you shouldn't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. So uh, from the business side of things, what's it, have you enjoyed getting more involved in that with the various yeah, roles I mean, and obviously now been well, your own business really? Yeah. I mean, I think you, you know, you sacrifice a good amount. Like I don't really have weekends anymore, uh, which boohoo, like many, you know, in team sport, <laughs> I didn't really have weekends either, but um, now it's just kind of changed from, you know, coaching five days a week and, and, you know, in the private side, you may coach six days sometimes and, and what have you, depending on the time of year. But, you know, now I'll coach five to six days a week or I'll speak on the weekends and that can kind of take a little bit of a toll on you, you know, if you don't manage it. But at the same time, it really is awesome to, I've just never had a chance to be able to kind of share at this level or engage people in the profession at this level and mentoring and, and learning and kind of staying sharp and all that and engaging with other people that can teach me a lot is really important to me. So to go and then take part in workshops or clinics where you're around coaches that not only want to learn, but kind of want to just build, adapt and evolve is a lot of fun. Um, at the same time, like it also having skin in the game is very different. You know, there, I think there's coaches that, I mean, would you agree there's probably coaches, just like any field, there's people that go to work and essentially collect a paycheck. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, 100%. Right. And so I think when when you don't have a salary, and, you know, that's something like I, I walked away from my salary position in October when Unbreakable decided to go more of a, a, a corporate franchise route that I wasn't passionate about. I just said, listen, it's been a fun ride, but this isn't my vision. So I walked away. I walked away from that salary. And when you have skin in the game and literally your ability to provide for you and your wife, your family, whatever, is completely dependent on, you know, one, coaching every single day that you can, two, you know, the the clinics and the workshops and what have you, it it keeps you sharp from the standpoint that you don't ever want to put out anything in any way, shape, or form that is a reflection of you that's half-assed. And so everybody you think has that organic sense of pride. Like it, it certainly wasn't different for me when I was in the collegiate setting. I think it just heightens the reality of it a little bit that you're very much like we all are very much on our own. Even if you have the best job right now in, in premiership soccer or, you know, AFL or anything like that, you can get sacked at any moment. And by and large, nobody in this industry cares about us, right? Like I have learned through the conversations that I've had that everybody thinks that human performance coaches are not that sharp when it comes to business, you know, Oh, you should take this job just because um, it's this club or this organization and the prestige is there. Don't worry. You know, pay shouldn't be an issue or um, you know, Oh, this would make the most sense or yeah, you've been really productive in helping us manage injury rates. But yeah, I mean, you know, better than I do people get sacked every single day and there's this very kind of 
gloomy reality that we're not in charge of our own kind of future. And if you can create an avenue where you can do that and you can like look your wife or your kids in the eye and, and know that you're going to have money to provide for them, even if the worst happens, I, I think that's a good thing. So I do think there's a middle ground um, where people think, okay, like I can either sit in the shadows and nobody knows about me because I'm so hardcore. Um, and you know, the, the people out there that are almost kind of like just name brand people that, that we all kind of get skeptical of sometimes there is a middle ground. You can have an underground mindset and still influence the mainstream. And that's kind of where I'm trying to, trying to fit in. So I want to move on and chat about the book. So for anyone that hasn't been on either Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter over the last couple of months, you've got a book out. So firstly, why did you think there was what what where did that come from where did, why did you think there was a need for in the industry for for that book to fit in and to actually come from you yeah um so my entire reason for being interested in this subject is cuz something i experienced when i was hospitalized as a teenager um i was around a lot of emotionally detached quote unquote experts and intellectuals that worked at this hospital that had a lot of knowledge, um, but probably didn't express wisdom. You know, I was a, I was a patient in this hospital. Um, it was, it, it was an awful place to be. Uh, and, and the whole, you know, everything that you heard was, this is the place that you're going to get better. This is the place that's going to help you. Yet these people really were almost very kind of, um, I think they enjoyed their power. They viewed themselves as being intellectually superior. They had all this state of the art stuff, but didn't know how to connect with, the people in it, including myself. And so that was my first kind of insight into, okay, intelligence doesn't really insinuate knowledge or, or in, intelligence doesn't insinuate wisdom. And I think you see aspects of that in our field where people kind of get in this arms race with who's got the best technology, who's got the best quip, equipment, who's doing the most, um, you know, uniquely integrated testing, who's got the most knowledge, who's up on the latest research. And I think that's turned a lot of people in our field from being socially skilled to socially skewed. I think that a lot of times we just look at our athletes now almost kind of like test subjects. And we think just because some really great research came out that all of a sudden that's, that's the holy grail of, of what is going to take everything we do to the next level. And I think that's actually hindered the coaching quality in our industry because they forget that people aren't Toyota Camrys. Um, people are always people on their emotions, their perceptions, their reason, their behavior, their actions are always going to be the greatest influencer. It doesn't matter if you have the best predictive scale, um, you know, and everything that tells you how you should auto regulate load. If the athlete doesn't really give a shit about your training in the first place, you're going to get kind of an effort for them that is, is submaximal. And, and you know that there's a law of thirds in, in elite sport by and large, you're going to have some clubs for sure where everybody maybe is gung ho, but the vast majority, like you're trying to prescribe loads for these guys or ranges or, or just get them involved and have some kind of intent behind what they do. That's really world-class that intent that matches their, um, their talent level. And you don't get that very often. And I just think that the biggest reason what I, what I've learned and what I've spoke on is there's a difference between experience and exposure, right? Exposure is when you subject yourself to an influencing event. So exposure is like, Hey, I've watched people coach or I've seen this or I've read this research. Um, you know, like I've kind of almost kind of a voyeur, right? It's like standing on a street, watching traffic go by you at a blazing speed and thinking, I now know how to drive in traffic. And experience is 
direct participation with an influencing event. So that's leading, directing, managing, interacting, engaging. That's being right in the thick of everything that you're doing. And right now in coaching culture, I think because of all the information we have out there, if any of your listeners you know, want to learn about any model of periodization, if they want to learn anything about Nordics, if they want to learn anything about um, enhancing the robustness or, or uh, mechanical resilience of, of, of tissue tolerance to reduce or hopefully manage soft tissue injuries and what they can do from a programming standpoint to do that, you can find articles on anything, but that doesn't teach you how to coach. And you see it on you see it on Twitter and social media. By and large, people are just sharing, you know, either they're sharing infographics or articles or research. Like we don't have a problem with that. That stuff's needed. And I'm not saying that we know it all. We don't we don't know it all, right? Like, but what I'm saying is where's where's the other end of the spectrum? We're called strength and conditioning coaches, and we deal with strength and conditioning a lot, but not so much the coaches. So I just thought more coach development and more from an experiential standpoint needed to be shared on that. I thought that I was somebody that may be able to contribute to it because of things I've experienced in my past, things that I've studied and spent a significant amount of time studying from a human nature, psychological, sociological, just overall psychosocial standpoint since I was in college um, and from stuff that's just not out there. I think that, yeah, there's coaching books out there, but I don't think a lot of them hit kind of the reality of the things that we face. I think that sometimes it's kind of wishy-washy kind of warm look them in the eye remember their name develop a trustworthy kind of you know it, it's almost kind of sing-songy when you hear kind of a radio pop song and i just kind of wanted something to say that li- like listen this isn't a athletes aren't always easy to engage with and trust is not uh you know trust i would say is a scarce resource in a post-scarcity world and if i could consolidate this all in one sentence it is that there's a science of the art of coaching I got really tired of people saying it's an art and a science. The art is soft, soft science, all this. The reality is, and I think a lot of your listeners are probably people that appreciate objective data. And I'll say this firmly, there's far more objective data on psychosocial aspects of communication, on engagement, on all these kinds of things than there is on training. 100%. There's entire university departments on, on, on these aspects. Google is not a search engine. It's an analytics company. At any one point in time, they know who clicks on what, whether that was from Safari, Android, Apple, uh, where in the world it was. They know why people want to see stupid cat videos online. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, think about advertising, marketing. I think a lot of people that just say this isn't exciting or it's not objectively measured probably haven't really gotten out of their scope of looking at strength and conditioning journals or anything related to physiology. Because I promise you the largest companies in the world or the people that spend millions upon millions of dollars – for a 30-second ad during the Super Bowl when 150 million people are watching, they don't just take a guess at this. They know what people want to see. And so everything I speak on or write on or, or do now is about how we can leverage those lessons into becoming better coaches. And I don't think anybody was – I'm sure people well before me have talked about it, right? Like I'm not saying I invented this. I certainly didn't. But I don't know if anybody's put it out in this way. And and if they have, great. Like, I just hope to be a contributor to, to further that mission. I'm not saying that my stuff is like the best stuff or the only answer. I wouldn't, I would never insinuate that, but there's definitely a need for this. And I think that's, that's resonated with people as, as seen by the response, which was uh, overwhelming and, and much appreciated. Just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Brett. I hope you enjoyed part one. Just want to make sure I recognize today's sponsor who are Vald Performance, makers of the Nordboard. 
So I just want to make sure I recognize them every episode because they do give me great support and enable me to continue doing the podcast and keep it in its current form. So I've got some great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. Um, obviously, part two coming up with Brett, which is fantastic, um, but some, some other great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your chosen podcast player. Uh, and keep in touch with what's going on um, on the Pace Performance Podcast. So I hope you enjoy part two and I will speak to you soon. So you've mentioned a couple there of influences or influences outside of coaching. Is there anything, any influences in particular, you mentioned Google and a couple of others, that has really struck home and, and you may think differently and hopefully you think the same that people are starting to look outside of the coaching realm for things that can be transferable to their daily practice and coaching but is there anything that stands out to you any particular um like genres or themes yeah any genres any people any specific industries that you've learned a lot from and maybe influenced this book highly I study and I'll I'll go broad and then I'll go a little bit more specific so I study and and this is going to sound really weird uh, to folks, but again, I'm, I'm just trying to be honest with it. So I'll study everything from as clean, uh, uh, so to speak, as so. For example, Google Analytics, right? Like how do marketers, how do marketers, whether it's Google or anything that we see on TV, how do marketers create a message and a story and a loop that engages us and drives us and, and, and compels us to buy their product or compels us to act in a certain way. Um, I, I've studied medical research from the standpoint of Guinea worm disease, uh, this terrible disease that was in Ghana that afflicted 3.5 million people in 1986. They tried solving it through medication and vaccines, and they realized that that wasn't working uh, because what people were doing when they had this parasite, which was uh, ingested via the drinking water, is people would run into the water to try to cool this itchy, burning, hot feeling when the parasite was uh, inside their body. And that actually activated the parasite and shot it out into the water, and, and it was it was just a continuous cycle. Then they'd lay more eggs in the water, more people would drink the water. So all these really smart people came down and said, well, this is a medicine issue. This is a vaccine issue. We have the answer. Kind of like we do in strength and conditioning. Uh, this is the program. This is – I mean it's amazing. You know, People, you'll ask them to kind of share what they do, and, and sometimes they can't, right? It's intellectual property, and, and that's different. But when people do think they have the one answer – you kind of have to laugh a little bit just because all many of us work in, in team sport related kind of avenues where there's so many variables. Um, so anyway, this guy went down and said, Oh, you know, it's a medicine issue. It's a vaccine issue. And it wasn't until they found somebody that said, no, no, this is a human behavior issue. We've got to get people to quit actually running into the water. And once they did that, the numbers went from like 3.5 million people afflicted, um, in 1986 or 1985, I'd have to check that stat again to like 156 people period about eight to 10 years later. And so when you, that's why I always kind of just, I don't get it when people say this is a soft science, right? Like what research do we have from a physiological standpoint in the journal of biomechanics or sport physiology or strength and conditioning or any of that kind of stuff where the sample size is more than 156, or I mean, I'm sorry, 3.5 million people, right? Like, yeah, you're 24 university approved lab subjects that, you know, squatted two times a week and, you know, load or volumes and intensities were equated amongst all, you know what I mean? Like we sit here and, and, and it's just kind of, I, again, I'm, I'm trying to just help us all remember the multidisciplinary nature of what we do. 
it, you can't just look at physiological aspects of the human body. You're a coach or you're an influencer. Like you have to get comfortable with these terms. You're an influencer. You're trying to influence. You're trying to persuade. You're trying to manipulate behavior. Those things don't have dark connotations to them. They may in like uh, in mainstream media, but you have to understand and be very open and honest about that's what you're doing. You manipulate variables in your programming. You you manipulate tissue. If you're if you're a physiotherapist, you manipulate all these other things. We try to manipulate the systems and the responses of the body. That's no different, right? Like the brain, the brain controls the body and how we perceive, how we interact, how we engage, all these kinds of things influence action. And that's not a soft science. Antonio Damasio talks about it. He's a he's a PhD out at, uh, of cognitive neuroscience at USC. Um, he wrote the book Descartes' Error, and he talks about how you know reason and influence obviously affect emotion and vice versa, and all those things drive action. And what are all of us trying to get our athletes to do? We're trying to get them to act and respond. So there's a couple names and stories already. I've studied um, and I, I I've studied ISIS. And how they, what, how, like, what was their messaging? How, how are they able, how is this sick group of individuals able to influence the masses into thinking what they were doing was not only right, but honorable, right? Like there's lessons in that, like, but I, people don't want to study things like that because it's dirty or they don't think it's related. But anytime you get people to move and act, whether for their own self-interest or against their own self-interest or for the best interests of other people, that's our job. We're doing that like you. you and, and there's a really good article that talks about how these dark sided leadership traits um, are applied within team sport. And they look at rugby clubs and soccer clubs. And then one of the coaches quoted in it. And I give a whole talk on this, said that I'm dealing with, you know, 30 different uh, 30 some odd different millionaires, top elite professionals. Talk about the ego. Talk about the narcissism some of these people have. And if he doesn't know how to interact with them and show different versions of himself, you know, to them, then, it, then it's going to get pretty ugly. The team's not going to be on a good course and they're certainly not going to listen to them. Then in the presentation I give, I show a DJ booth where that's what this is. Like if you turn volume treble bass up on all aspects of your personality, you're, the, the crowd's not going to love that. The crowd meaning our athletes. Like we can't be these intense, on one end, we can't be these intense, crazy driven people. But at the other end, we can't, we also can't be like these analytical, quiet, micromanaging type of folks, you have to know when to turn certain aspects of your personality up and down to influence and engage these people. So I'll study a wide range of things. And the bottom line is I'm trying to better understand how people move and act. And I think my obsession with that, like I said, started when I was in the hospital, I thought, how can these really smart people, like, how are they not understanding me? I mean, when I was at that age, I saw 10 psychologists because I dealt with depression. I dealt with um, obsessive compulsive disorder. Like a lot of my friends turned to drugs. I think I talked about this once on your podcast. A lot of kids I grew up and played, you know, sports with got real heavy into drugs when I was a kid and my parents were going through a divorce and I didn't really know how to deal with that. So, you know, I started just training obsessively for sport. Everything I ate was quote unquote perfect. You know, like I'd work out three or four times a day. I'd read everything I could from these magazines and, and, you know, forums and message boards. And I thought I was really informed and I applied it all. And what I learned is information is a really poor, poor medium for behavior change. Cause all that did is make me obsess. And all that did was lead me in so many different directions because information changes. It's, it's the context behind the things that we, the information that we deliver is important. And so anyway, when, like when I was in this hospital, you would meet with different psychologists and psychiatrists or psychiatrists and everybody would want to tell you this is 
this is what the, you know, your issue is. This is how we're going to deal with it. And so I don't have a master's degree or a PhD in, in psychology by any means, but at 15 years old, dealing with as many as eight to 10 psychologists is a pretty interesting experience. And you learn to be pretty self-reflective and then you'd start to study these things. And, you know, in, in college, it was Neil Strauss's book, The Game, that talk about social dynamics and why why women would act a certain way when these goofy ass pickup artists would would throw a certain kind of like bait at them. And then it became Robert Greene's work. So he's a classical historian and, and researcher as it pertains to understanding nuances of seduction, power and war. And you just realize that all these things are so inextricably linked at such a high level in the realm of human performance, you can't ignore them. And if you do, don't be surprised when your athletes don't don't like what you have to say just because you you have a PhD or you have a really great resume or because, man, you have a really nice weight room. So with that, that flexibility within one's personality, how is that how is that learned? How is that developed? Is that something that's in you or not? Is that something that can be can be taught? I, I definitely think there's it's it's more inside some people than others. There, you know, there's definitely something that's more inside people than others. But I do think that people that um, you know, we at, at the workshop this weekend I was doing in Connecticut, we had a guy come up and he was just like, Hey, I'm super introverted. Um, this stuff's really hard for me um to um to, to do right now. And he's like, but the fact that I know that I can use different aspects of my personality and that I'm not being told I have to change, but rather that I just, I can almost show an athlete a mirror of themselves or, or the vision or what they need to see. And I can, if I do need to change my personality, it's, it's situational. Cause that's the thing. Think of a Darwinian approach, right? Fitness is a situational kind of thing. And so is leadership. Like you, you can be consistent in your values, your morals and your ethics, but still employ different methods. And, uh, so it it was refreshing for him to see that he could kind of, he didn't have to change. He just knew how to leverage different parts of himself. So I I think some people can do it better than others, but I do think that if, if you're not organically, you know, that's something that you struggle with. That's just a matter of both increasing your exposure and your experience. One, yeah, you are going to have to study this stuff. You are going to have to learn kind of how to be, and in essence, more seductive, more in, more persuasive, more engaging, all these kinds of things. But it doesn't have to be in a verbal manner. It can be nonverbal. It can be through methods you employ, like messaging internally with a team or organization or weight room, which is a lot of what I'm consulting on right now. It's been it's been incredibly refreshing. Like I got reached out to by a couple corporations that have nothing to do with strength and conditioning. That's why I use the term human performance now. But they were having trouble with kind of developing an internal messaging style to get to get certain workers within their space. Um, and this is a huge kind of, it's a, it's a, I'm trying to think how to, it's a talent management agency that had brought me in. So they deal with athletes, musicians, kind of everything. And uh, so I was trying to talk to them about how they could leverage certain strategic, uh, so, some traits, because everything was like corporate branding, messaging, stuff that's not going to resonate with people. But then at the same time, I'll deal with teams that, you know, they want to know, okay, how'd you, how do you lead this session? How do you deal with this kind of athlete? What have th- what are some things that you found have been beneficial and, and or that research supports? So you have to learn it, but you also have to kind of use the flooding technique, meaning, you know, when, when people are scared of spiders, right? Like they may look at a spider through a jar and then eventually that spider may crawl on their hand. And then eventually they're driving in a car <laughs> filled with spiders. So to get good at these things, you <laughs> have to practice them and employ them. Because I might be successful with something with American footballers, because of their socioeconomic background and where they come from and the situations they've experienced themselves. But then I could go to a club in the UK and you're going to have to use completely different methods. Maybe, 
you know, but by and large, you do see archetypes of individuals. I'm not saying that these things are cemented and, and somebody is just one example of something, but an archetype is a common representation of a certain kind of individual. And uh, you're going to see a lot of commonalities between. So you, you have to, you have to study it, but you have to put yourself around a lot of folks. I think the hospital was my training ground with that. I was in this kind of program with 18 other patients, men and women from all different backgrounds, all of their reasons for being in there were different. You saw how, um, you saw how, uh, God, you saw the ways that they expressed their illness, um, whether it was through some form of control, whether it was through some kind of addiction, whether it was some type of behavior. And then you saw how nurses and doctors tried, quote unquote, treating it and combating it. And I think, I think that's an important piece for people to understand is you have to leverage these kind of pseudo traumatic experiences in your background, things that maybe influence you as a communicator or as a leader to, to first know how to do that with other people. And that's the model that the book follows. The model, the, the model talks about uh, within the book that, you know, it's, it's the Sun Tzu art of war thing. Know thyself, know thy enemy, a million battles fought, a million victories. And so that's, again, why it, it's tough. We've got to get beyond it as a strength and conditioning kind of or human performance community thinking that these things haven't been studied and researched. This is uh, we're living out classical history and uh, you have to know how to manage those things and manipulate them. With regards to the um, the kind of traits within the personality, and, and this is something we spoke about before before we started recording about how many how many countries you've actually spoken. Do you find there's uh, differences within the coaches within the countries that you've spoken? So, for instance, how a coach may come across and and uh, that personality comes out in Australia, how that differs to the kind of general coach in America and how maybe Europe. Is is it is it tra- traits and differences that you're seeing across the world? Yeah, well, I mean, and I'd almost turn that back at you, right? Think about the people that you've interviewed yeah. on the podcast, geographically, regionally, organizationally. Ha- have you even found trends, right, of people that work in certain elements of sport or or certain regions? I mean, whether that's uh, whether that's you know voice tone, whether that's the topics they're interested in, whether that's um, the the kind of methods or or kind of overall philosophy they've shared. Haven't you seen that? Absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. So, like, hundred percent. I think I. I go ahead. Go, on, mate. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I, yeah. I want. I, no, want I was going to elaborate. I, yeah. Yeah, no. I was going to say it's, and you, you mentioned you sent me a message about how I was kind of acting in the in the Mike Boyle interview, and that's, and, and I, I find that I do act differently with the Aussies compared to the guys in the UK, and I think you. Like you say, you have to be flexible within your personality to, um, to to deal with kind of what's what's put in front of you with regards to the the personality of the for me on the other end of the mic or whatever it may be. So yeah, hundred percent different how I seem to flip in between you know diff- the the guys that I'm speaking to. Hundred percent. Yeah, and that's why you know that's why these you know what the research calls dark sided leadership traits are so unique because what they're saying is that. You know, and the dark side and kind of what they call the dark triad is reflected by elements of narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy. And they're not saying that these things are good, right? There's a difference between a trait and a behavior. A trait is who you are. A behavior is what you do. And so it's not saying, you know, if somebody has a narcissistic traits, by by default, they're a narcissist, right? Because these, this is kind of an inveterate uh, or almost kind of like quotidian way of them acting. Every day they display this. 
a behavior, leveraging a narcissistic or Machiavellianism type behavior is is situational. It's the Darwinian thing. It's saying, hey, I'm going to adapt based on this circumstance or based on this interaction or based on those pieces. It's like, here's a prime example. When I went out and spoke in China and anybody that's been in China is kind of laughing. They go, oh God, like we know where this is going. Like, you know that you're not going to use so much sarcasm and, and you know, kind of humor because <laughs> it doesn't really, it doesn't really translate. And that was like the first time I spoke over there, I was like, I am the worst presenter ever. And before, like, <laughs> I felt like I was pretty confident, you know, and then you realize, no, that they want to see anytime I put up a slide and it was just kind of a training method or it was, you know, one of my athletes doing something, right? Whether it's sprinting, squatting, lunging, you know, throwing, uh, boxing, punching, whatever. They'd be like, oh, doo, 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 like cameras flutter, you know, iPhones came out, they'd videotape it. It's, it's, you know, got the, they have their iPads and they're recording. But then when you start talking about the X's and O's and methodological approaches, like approaches, some of them would fall asleep, you know, and you'd realize like, oh, like, you know, and then you try to use humor and you'd obviously be using a translator, even if you tried respecting, you know, them and their culture by using, uh, you know, I tried to learn some Mandarin, just, you know, four or five words uh, was all I could manage. I, but to show my respect and kind of um, thread that in the presentation, you found that you, if if you did use any kind of humor, sarcasm, or try to be funny, first of all, your interpreter, if he did understand it, he would be like, oh God, this is not going to go over well. <laughs> He'd kind of look at you and, <laughs> and it did, you know, and so... I think coaches in, uh, uh, you know, in China and, and countries where, you know, that kind of culture is similar. Now, when I went to Ireland and Australia to speak, I, you know, I try to be pretty good about not using curse words, although sometimes they, they flip out, you know, but I remember one time I hadn't, you know, cussed or what have you. And then something slipped. I think I just said the word shit and it was in Ireland and the crowd started clapping and they said, finally, like, you're too buttoned up, like chill out, you know? And so you're like, oh my God, I love Ireland and Australia, you know? And, and it was so, it was so great being there. Now I haven't spoke much in the, in the UK to this point, but just from the friends and the connections, whether it's yourself or, or other folks over there that are so, you know, like James Baker is awesome. I mean, there's a million names, you know, there's a balance there too. I mean, you guys are really unique because on one end, right, you have this kind of just very gregarious nature and you don't think, you don't think, well, don't take things personally you understand sarcasm you'll rip on each other you'll give each other shit but then you also do have a very analytical part of of what you guys are doing over there as it's reflected within the sporting culture where i just think that you and australia by and large have, have led the way in, in some of the unique research and and everything you guys have done with you know rugby or soccer and and the budget you have allow you within those sports to to get more kind of stuff where you can generate more research so it's it's really unique and you just got to know your audience and i think it helps when you when your audience knows you, so in the book, I share the whole part about my hospitalization. On this and on podcasts, I talk about it. I talk about things that really aren't that cool to talk about. A lot of strength coaches would rather talk about, yeah, my deadlift, or yeah, the, the athletes I'm working with are so high level, or yeah, all the things that I've accomplished. Like I'm straight up telling you I was hospitalized for an eating disorder and depression at 15. But you also need to know that so that if I interact with you or I engage with you or you see this information, you know where it came from. And also, you, you know why I'm speaking on it. When, I, when I'm around a bunch of highly educated doctors and individuals that are supposed to help people, but they can't get beyond their IQ to express any kind of uh, social intelligence or emotional quotient, you start realizing that, okay, like this is why he's bringing that to the table. If you interviewed me five years ago, right, we'd, we'd still be talking about X's and O's and strength and conditioning, direct strength and conditioning oriented type subjects related to the research and all those things. And I'll still speak on that. I'm not going to do as much of it this year because 
I, I put the book out for a reason to try to help. And I want to try to help and grow that and, 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 and develop more coaches and develop myself as a coach and, and hopefully change our culture in a positive way. Um, but at that point, when I was first on your podcast or first kind of quote unquote coming onto the scene, you also do have to say like, yeah, listen, I'm not saying you go this way or that way. What I'm saying is you're a strength and conditioning coach. You're a human performance specialist. If you're a, a physio or ATC or what have you, you're in human performance. Let's not forget about the human piece because we, we, I think we understand. I think we at least have a lot of resources that are abound for performance, but who can you name right off the bat, Rob, not to put you on the spot, but to kind of put you on the spot when, when we all want to go learn how to be better communicators, influencers, um, you know, leaders, anything like that, by and large, would you agree that we usually reach for stuff outside of our field? Absolutely. I was, yeah, I was going to say that as soon as you, uh, I thought there's a question coming my way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. 100%. Yeah, I change it up. But usually we, we reach outside That's of our field. Sorry. So like the book that I wrote was just kind of my way of saying, shoot, like, I, you know, it's just my way of, of telling the outside world, like, hey, here's leadership and organizational type stuff from a strength coach's standpoint. Because I, I think we sell ourselves short. I think that we just think that we have this impact in human performance when in reality, some of the stories we share are pretty cool. And I don't think that's wrong to do because you see that in military culture. You see guys like Jocko Willink and others, whether they were former SEALs, Delta Rangers or what have you, writing books about things they learned in, in war and things that they learned from different aspects of their life and, and, and losing friends in battle and all that. And they'll share leadership-oriented stuff. Or, or, but like, why, why don't we really do that as coaches? And I'm not talking about memoirs, right? Like I know there's coaches that have put memoirs out and other stuff. Again, there's lots of coaches that have put things out. I just don't know, or at least I didn't see anything that was put out that spoke to a strength coach's take on human nature, the conflicts we face daily, how how we can leverage resource from a psychosocial standpoint and the literature out there in sociology and psychology and kind of the art of communication to to show that there's a science aspect to this, what we do here as well. And also that we can influence a world kind of outside of the weight room, you know? And so I just wanted to put something out there from a coach's standpoint and just to show people that there's a science to the art. Cause I, I just don't think that it, it has to be on the spectrum. It's like you talk to coach Boyle, right? It doesn't have to be this. Are you squatting or are you not right? Equivalent of art or science. It's not black and white. I would, I would ask most of the people listening to this and yourself it, it, to really consider and think about the fact that uh, most of the stuff done in this world, whether it's being a chef, whether it's being in government, whether it's being a business owner, whether it's being a, you know, whatever, uh, a father, husband, wife, whatever is done in the gray area. Like what, what at a world-class sustainably long, long-term thing is done with kind of any black and white approach. Everybody has to operate in the gray area the science of the art of coaching is the gray area of what we do. And you adapt, you adapt, you adapt your programming. Why don't you adapt how you react and respond to people? Very interesting. Very interesting. So where can people get hold of the book? Yeah. So can, it's, yeah it's, it's around the world. Um, yeah. Worldwide on Amazon. I tried to make, I self published the book. Um, I, there were some publishers that were really nice and reached out, but, uh, admittedly a lot of them either wanted to take out the strength and conditioning piece of it because you know obviously publishers want to make money and uh so they wanted it to be more leadership oriented as opposed to strength and conditioning or human performance which i wasn't really passionate about um and there's also uh there's also a lot of it when you deal with a publisher that they kind of control the message and it doesn't really come from you so 
that was a part that I think aged me in this thing. I self-published it, and I did it through Amazon. So I, I wanted anybody to be able to access it anywhere. So Amazon, if you do want a little bit more context about the book or kind of what other folks have, have said about it, good, bad, or indifferent, you can go to ConsciousCoachingBook.com. Um, from from kind of a review and, and testimonial standpoint, I reached out to, uh, and this is kind of the ubiquitous nature of what we do. Again, I think we have to take ourselves a, a bit more seriously outside of our space. Um, one of the first people to read the book was a full colonel in the United States Special Forces. And I just said, hey, you know, like, I'm a strength coach. You, we've interacted in the past. You know some of the work I've done. Would you review this? And, and good, bad, or indifferent, tell me if it's relevant in your culture. Um, I reached out to people like David Joyce, Brandon Marcello, um, uh, Bob Alejo, uh, athletic directors, performance directors, performance managers. Dave Tenney was awesome. Now, like, think of all the great work Dave Tenney does in the realm of sports science, right? And Dave Tenney was one of the first people to be like, man, this is needed. Because I asked him, I'm like, am I crazy talking about this? And he's like, no. And so, again, trying to get away from this, are you going to back squat? Are you not? Is it sports science? Uh, is it good or is it bad? Is it the science? Is it the art? I would try to really bring in a whole community of individuals to say that like enough with the either or conscious coaching is about both. And that's, that's where the name came from. So Amazon, there's 15 other people involved, uh, from the soccer standpoint, like there, you know, you have, you have Barry Solon, uh, Barry did an awesome job in it from an NFL standpoint. You have Dave Paloka, um, from a, I wanted to get female strength coach involved. Because I think, uh, again, it's such a male-dominated profession that we forget that, you know, there are so many tremendous female coaches out there. So Jennifer Noyles did it, who you may not recognize in that name. She's been with uh, API. I'll say, I, I know it's Exos now, but Jenny was kind of there from the beginning. And it's just, she's worked with, you know, male hockey players, male football players, uh, baseball, soccer, kind of the whole thing. And, and that's a hard thing to do for a female strength coach. It is, because there's that perception they have to overcome and they need to know how to command that sense of leadership and, and trust and accountability right away. And she absolutely killed it. Uh, we have Bre- Brendan Rerick. We have, we have so many different people that contributed because I didn't want people to think that, you know, this isn't just my voice. This is a community kind of uprising V for Vendetta like movement of people that are really tired of thinking of, of kind of the black and white thinking of that, what we do and, and saying that, no, like, we all need to remember the essence of this is the people we connect with. So that, that's a long answer of Amazon. I'm sorry. Like, I, I do get on like, that's the one thing I'm, I'm awful at right now. I do get on these rants, but I'm passionate about it. You know, I'm passionate yeah, about the fact can, that like, I just think our, our community wastes so much time with that. It costs people their jobs. It costs people like, you know, people just are forgetting what we do and we can solve a lot better problems together. If, you know, we just get past the minutia and kind of the silly bullshit. And you've got a new website. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. The website, listen, and, and the website, right? Like that was just kind of my version. Uh, yeah. Rod McKeefer, he's got one for himself because he had an experience at Tennessee where uh, if you're not familiar with his book, they had, a, they had a rough season at Tennessee and somebody, I think a fan had written something pretty, pretty bad uh, about the strength coach that his daughter and his kids stumbled upon. And so I think Ron stated it per, like masterfully when he said, you know, I never would have had a website, but the minute I realized that people can put whatever they want out there about you, it's smart to kind of own your own real estate. And yeah. so what I realized yeah. is once I had gotten out of kind of corporate restrictive environments, I wouldn't let you do that. Like Bartholomew's strength isn't, I'm not opening up a gym called Bartholomew's strength. It's just basically Brett was owned by some 
technology guy in Iowa and some weird actor in Chicago that wouldn't wouldn't give it to me. So it's like, <laughs> I mean, literally, if you, if you go to those websites, either nothing's on it or it's some creepy guy in like a jacket with slick back hair. And thankfully, <laughs> we're not related, although I'm sure he's a great person. So my website's <laughs> BartholomewStrength.com. I, it just is, it, it's mainly a place that kind of, it, it shows my training. It shows what I do. It talks about things that I believe in. There's nothing really special about it. Uh, I do do online consulting. You know, I hire some young strength coaches that are that kind of want to be silent contributors, but want to get more involved with the field. And I'm really big on mentoring and that whole idea of being an apprentice. And so behind the scenes, I work with these kids. And at the same time, like from an X's and O's standpoint or, or interaction standpoint, at the same time, like they're able to, when people reach out and if they need a program for whatever, they're able to help collaborate and and share that kind of information and knowledge. I'm just trying to pass that stuff on. So if you want to reach out, just go to info at BartholomewStrength.com and uh, I'll always do my best to get back to you. I usually like talking over the phone or, or messenger more. I, I, I hate email, but I'll always get back to you and, and, and do my best to answer any questions. And last but not least, where are you on Twitter? Yeah, yeah. so Twitter and Instagram is at Coach underscore Brett B., um, a lot more active on Instagram these days. Uh, it allows you to do an image, which we all know is worth a thousand or I'd say a million words. And it allows you to put a little bit more context behind what you're sharing. Uh, Twitter used to be probably the main place I was at, but then you kind of realize that by default, it almost forces you into these abstract fortune cookie type posts that, you know, you can't really put a whole lot behind. <laughs> and it just, it, you know, it's a lot of back and forth. So it's just better to Instagram's the main place. Um, I, I started a Facebook uh, page because I was limited on the amount of people that I could add. So Facebook, you can find me at just Brett Bartholomew Performance Coach. I try to be as accessible as possible. Perfect. Sounds good, mate. Yeah, appreciate well, it. I'm gonna, uh, so hopefully, guys, like, nah. hopefully this stuff helps. I mean, good, bad, or indifferent, I, I value your feedback and everybody else's. Um, you know, I, I just hope we get more people contributing and realizing that's a bigger piece. And, and you're a huge part of that. I can't tell you the the tremendous respect I have for you putting yourself out there. Like if there are any coaches that are hesitant, like listen, putting yourself out there is not easy. And especially in a position like Rob's like, or, or anybody that does podcasts or articles or what have you. So if, if you're kind of a, thinking about doing the same thing yourself, like reach out to people like Rob, because you, one, you should never criticize or condemn unless you actually like create and contribute. And I couldn't imagine doing your job. Like what the questions you ask the, the things you have to do, everything you have to put out there is extremely challenging, but I think I'd probably speak on behalf of everybody where I say how much it's appreciated because you keep us all learning. So thank you very much. Appreciate appreciate that, mate. Really appreciate that. Thank you very much. So I'll um I'll let you go and we'll uh we'll catch up soon and good luck with the book. Perfect. Thanks, Rob. Thanks everybody. Appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Thanks for tuning in to episode 127 of the Pacey Performance Podcast and part three with Brett. Obviously absolutely buzzing after the chat with Brett. His enthusiasm, like I said on my tweet after I spoke to him, is absolutely infectious. So, so glad to get him on and so glad to hear the positive things that uh, he's doing at the moment. So, just want to say a massive thanks for the last time to Val Performance, makers of the Nordboard on Groinbar, for their sponsorship and their continued support. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your chosen uh, podcast player and keep up to date with what's going on and the guests that are coming up. So thanks again for tuning in and I will speak to you soon.